deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. I'd like to it be if you know the call for if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Um, we will go in one and two and three and. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Shrieking Shack. This is a Harry Potter reread podcast for lapsed fans. I'm your host, ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz, I said I was ready to go. And then as soon as I started counting down, I realized I had a hiccup coming. Uh-oh. Um, I think this is probably not even a first for this show, but that's where I am. Um, so instead of instead of vamping for an intro here, I'm just going to ask how you're doing and maybe hiccup. While... Oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I guess I'll use this opportunity to uh, apologize for any echoing or sound quality issues that I'm having. I uh, moved this week, so I'm currently in a... Uh, room that has hardwood floor and no furniture. Um, got the area rug set up, but there's nothing on the walls, so my voice is just kind of bouncing around a little bit. I think it sounds fine. I'm. I think the. I think this week might be a contest to see who who will scrape out of it with better sound because you you know you've obviously got a new recording environment uh, that's mm-hmm. not fully fully sound you know proofed yet. It's a little echoey. Uh, but I, uh, had to reformat my computer this weekend and I did not think about how that was going to affect my microphone settings and audacity settings. Um, so I might, I might end up sounding much, much worse than whatever, you know, little echo problems you have. Mm, Well, you know, our, our sound has gotten better over time that we started this, but but also (laughs) ring theory is very important to Harry Potter. So we're, you know, we open at the close. We're back to the beginning again. They were back to the beginning, although we're not using Zencaster. There was that one little behind the scenes uh, uh, peak here. There was that one episode we had to partially record on Zencaster again recently because Discord went down. Mm-hmm. The the sound. I I think I think we're both going to worry about it, and it's going to end up sounding fine. That's my prediction. That sounds great. Knocking on wood. Famous last words. Mm-hmm. This week we do not have much Harry Potter news, but. I think we have a lot of Harry Potter author news to talk about. Or maybe not even news. Just just some stuff happening. Just some <laughs> stuff. Just some stuff happening. Um uh, I'll just go ahead and throw just a just a light a light warning at the beginning of this discussion. This we we are going to be talking about uh JK Rowling being transphobic again all, as always, you know. Not not a surprise, but just in case that doesn't sound like fun, let's go ahead and skip this. But this is this is just such a weird week for her online. Th- this isn't like the full boiling over that we've been expecting, but I think we are. I think we, we we've been proven right. We've been talking, you know, these past few weeks about her return to Twitter and her weird, like, new, very normal approach to like posting right mm-hmm. and how we were like we're, she, we we both know she's instantly going to you know as soon as she thinks she can cash this in for like some more shitty behavior she will and she did this week but it's become very transparent how her twitter behavior works and i i kind of want to dissect this uh for this segment yeah i mean i think that this is just a bummer and i and i don't mean like obviously her personal beliefs are hideous and heinous and a bummer but what i'm talking about is more the tactic 
which mm-hmm. is she is I, I mean I guess I'm just speculating here but is is proving to either herself or to other people that she can be personally hideous in this specific way and she's untouchable right like she's yeah. still going to have the the hordes of oh look at my pencil drawing look at the cake i made look at the look at my kids costume that i put them in please i love you if you like this tweet <laughs> i'm it's going to make my whole life i'm, I'm going to jump off this building if you don't reply right like like she she is it it feels a little bit like she's proving to herself that she cannot be harmed by having these beliefs right yes so that's a bummer mhm there is something very it is both frustrating and amusing about the way she goes about this like remember how when her first like weird normal tweet storm happened and we were speculating how like like isn't it weird how she's posting like someone who's like trying to bury a ratio tweet or something Mm -hmm. and i think that's kind of exactly what she's doing here only on like a grander scale because i don't know if you were keeping up with her uh her stuff this morning but um she's she's been doing it again uh this is sort of starting at the end here but i think it's, it's it's an important place to start uh obviously this week uh, the fact that J.K. Rowling is a transphobe became a headline again because she's been faving some, you know, obviously heinous and horrible uh, discussions and, and and comments to her about how brave she is for being a turf, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but this this morning she has been tweeting about like, hey, uh, uh, completely uh, uh, impromptu, n- no ulterior motive for this at all. Why don't I start telling you about all the places I wrote Harry Potter? in right and it's uh, like it's so, so funny it, it gives me deja vu because it is as if she is mythologizing this story that she's told a hundred times for for now 10 plus years and it's <laughs> all she's just she's just p- tweeting it out again yeah. um and it kind of fucks with me because i'm just like this isn't this isn't new but this is a a rallying of the like goodwill of yeah uh, the, the goodwill of mythologizing the story of her writing harry potter it is an indictment of the like the way that like content aggregate sites work now too mm-hmm. because if you google and then go to the news tab if you just search jk rowling on google right now there are now enough places called like the daily nerd or like the the nerdly squire whose entire business model is regurgitating like pop culture related headlines to get you to look at ads right like mm-hmm. what, this, this is 90% of websites these days there are enough of those with the same headline about how JK Rowling talks about how she wrote Harry Potter to bury the one or two articles i think there was one from the, the two places i have seen uh uh talking about uh, uh jk rowling's um actual beliefs recently have been alt press which if you remember is that uh emo and pop rock magazine that we took that music oh, the quiz, quiz that betrayed us the quiz the dobby betrayal quiz but they've redeemed themselves by by pointing out her transphobic behavior and documenting it and like I think the other one was like like an Indian newspaper or something. And then the rest of it has all just been these fucking like, you know, nerd websites going like, whoa, she she posted a tweet about how she wrote Harry Potter in a cafe. 
And it's a tactic. She knows this. Every time there is a uh, uh, so there is a viral tweet or an article that points out that she is uh, uh, liking something or retweeting something or posting something horrible, she will pull something out of the closet to to like trot out and and make a show of uh to to bury the headline it is a little pathetic i feel how how transparent this is i i mean and and she's just returning to that same well how many times have i seen have have i seen her shoot down this theory of this one specific i don't know cafe or something that claims that it was the inspiration for leaky cauldron and she always says like no it's not i've never seen it before but but yeah what what a well to go back to yeah i mean maybe maybe that's the thing maybe she's running out of stuff although i think she is you know quite clever at coming up with new stuff at least when she's been drinking because the other the other (laughs) thing that happened this week was when Someone pointed that out, and then she went on uh, this terror about Bitcoin and started talking to Elon Musk about Bitcoin, and that became the headline. Like, oh my god, isn't it crazy that J.K. Rowling doesn't know what Bitcoin is? And she was just having a hoot on Twitter. And, like, it was funny, but it was very obvious what she was doing. Every time she gets she she sees that she is, like, potentially getting in trouble for something, she will come up with some clown-ass way to get attention for something else. It's very easy, I guess. Yeah, it was when you're JK Rowling, when you have 15 million followers, it is very easy to wave your hands and get a t- get a bunch of attention. This Bitcoin uh, thread ruined my entire afternoon. Oh what my a God, what was... a terrible terrible thing. <laughs> we did at least get a few fun details. I I will say I appreciate the but this thing about her saying like oh i'm only four old fashions deep while tweeting is very funny it's to very me. epic that is, that's such a good image <laughs> because not only is it just a very funny image imagining jk rowling just just completely sauced uh-huh. tweeting all this stuff but it it, it created the perfect reply storm because not only were were bitcoin guys replying to her and showing up on my feed and your feed uh uh w- w- she was getting replies from like cocktail nerds going like why don't you drink a sazerac instead jk rowling follow me for a sazerac recipe jk rowling do you use simple syrup or sugar like just just abs the absolute worst people <laughs> just the the absolute deadly cocktail to me personally of <laughs> of people coming out to be like like the the like pseudo fancy lads and the replies being like oh an old-fashioned i didn't know you had such good taste also you should buy a bitcoin yeah <laughs> it is poison to me there were some crazy good names in there there was like someone gunch randy gunch or something there were some there were some powerful fancy lads in there some real Uh, characters uh showing up in those replies and then of course all of the just dedicated bitcoin accounts showing up Mm -hmm. to be like we'll help you understand bitcoin i'll send you uh some ethereum or it was it was fucking hilarious the uh yeah like on the one hand obviously yes transparent she was doing it again she was just making a show to get uh to get attention and draw it away from the 
maybe actually harmful attention she could be getting. I don't even, I I don't even, I, I am much more, I think it's much more sinister than that in that I think that it really is just normalizing it, right? I don't think she's trying to draw attention away from getting in trouble. I think she's trying to show that she can't get in trouble. Oh, yeah, like this is just I think it's way worse than that. This is a a victory lap. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That tracks. It's disgusting. She's horrible. Here's the thing. I love hate reading. Everyone who listens to this podcast knows I love getting getting my elbows deep in the dirt and finding dumb bullshit to read and 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 rolling around. But I've had to unfollow JK Rowling because even though I, I guess it is part of my job description to keep up with her, I need to go in prepared now, you know? Uh, yeah, that's understandable. I I need to I need to I need to be in the right mental space to wallow in 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 the grime. Um, yeah, I, I'm keeping up on it. Like I said, I know what she's doing today, but and like the way that Twitter weights big accounts on your timeline now. Oh, it's awful. Because that's it was it would be like all I would see was like I would log into Twitter and half of my timeline would be like um, Jimmy Booch says J.K. Rowling, what about this Sazerac recipe? Don't, don't, not get Bitcoin, you won't regret it. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it was a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I still follow her because I have a little, I am kind of a, very bad with my object permanence here, and if I unfollow <laughs> her, I will forget she exists immediately, um, mm-hmm. which will be for the best once we finish this book. Um, yeah. Uh, but I've taken more toward, um, because Twitter is such a very good app and the like button is apparently sometimes a retweet button, I've taken more to just blocking uh, like, like folks that end up in the, like, oh, JK Rowling liked this tweet and then it puts it on my feed. But yeah, she is, I mean, like, you know, in case you are just joining us, if you're starting on this episode or, or a recent episode and, and don't know, JK Rowling is a bad person. Mm-hmm. I would like Harry Potter, the text, to have a reckoning, which I know that's kind of what we're doing here. I know that's a little yeah, bit of our thesis. That's our job. Um, yeah. And I'm not even saying, like, I don't think people should not like it. And I'm sorry that I'm going back to this well, because I know we've talked about it again. Like, really talking about this now, it's not news. This is just yeah. the normalization of her stuff. Um, so this isn't, like, a surprise. Um, right. But I just am, again, seeing that, like, second round of people being like wow i wish she didn't write harry potter you know hermione wrote harry potter on and on and i'm just like natsune eh. miku wrote harry potter haha it's like it's i'm like, not saying you can't like harry potter or like stuff about harry potter i like stuff about harry potter it means a lot to me but yeah you can't i mean it's got some bad shit in it too the impulse to appear clean yourself right mm-hmm. so like oh i the people going like oh wow i can't believe i ever liked this it's like no don't there's no need to pretend you never liked it there's no need to pretend that you don't still like parts of it right mm-hmm. because like like one as we have we have like you know covered extensively in on, on the show there's some interesting stuff in that text still um but also i think that the other part of it is that like it was such a huge cultural juggernaut. There is a significant number of people who were the right age in the right demographic who were just never going to escape that gravitational pull, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's I I think that it is silly to pretend that you know that you didn't 
uh, if you if you were one of the people who you know like us did at the time, uh, who now obviously have have personal feelings and and you know things in our life that make a lot of that stuff a lot more detestable now than it was you know apparent to us as as children or whatever. But but I just I in general I don't like the Hatsune Miku made X thing that has just been canceled thing right like it's just it it's a silly way to look at media it's a silly way to look at the changing landscape of like what we consider acceptable in mainstream culture right because mm-hmm. I mean a lot of the time the answer is you know this stuff was never acceptable it was just that wider cultural Overton window has just now shifted so acting surprised now just. Just don't just just get over it. Like, like just, you just say J.K. Rowling is a bad person. I accept this and move on. And she probably always was too. She probably all yes, probably. I mean, always, I don't know her, you know. Yeah. So I I don't know what she thinks or what she did or if uh, she became a bad person or a worse person. But <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it is as silly to say like, oh, I never liked this and was not affected by it as it is to say like, oh, Harry Potter is perfect and then she went bad. So we're gonna extract her from what she wrote i guess yeah yeah uh, and the re- the reality is she is not unique and i think that that is the other important part of this is that like like for as, as horrible as she is and as much as we talk about how heinous her opinions are you could pull any you know middle class english person off the street and you have probably a greater than 50 50 chance of them having the same beliefs, right? Mm-hmm. She she is not the arbiter or cultivator or inventor of any of these horrible things. She is just someone with a much louder voice. Yeah. And I and I think that that is another part of it too is it's like, you know, uh you got to we got to reckon with not just the loudest people in the culture, but the fact that like this is the culture, right? Mhm. Um it's a bummer. It's a serious topic, it's a heavy one, but I will say this, I think it is at least funny, satisfying to me in a way that it is so obvious now, right? Like, there, there is something deeply sad to me about the way that she goes about this. Like, like, like you're, like you were saying, your, your, your theory that this is like her, like her, her snide victory lap after getting away with being transphobic again. Just like, what a sad person! Imagine being, you know, middle aged, richer than God. You can do anything you want in your life, and you spend your day thinking about how much you hate trans people. Yeah, she's she's really in it. Yeah, like it's just pathetic. I just feel bad for her. Like, what a poisonous existence that must be endless money uh and endless influence and 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 to spend your day doing that i just i feel sorry for her you know it's it's pretty pathetic yeah um i have one final thought and it's about bitcoin bitcoin this is is gonna be my this is gonna be my hot take (laughs) about her bitcoin tweets (laughs) i think it is silly to do a so first i'd like to preface this by saying i think bitcoin is bad and stupid um, and okay. it's harmful. I, but I also don't much know much about it, but it's probably bad. Um, I <laughs> okay. also don't care. Um, yeah. I don't think doing yeah. the performative, I don't understand Bitcoin is so silly. Oh, God. I just, I just, I really would like to challenge anybody that does that to really explain how money works. Yeah, it is. I, th- I think most people, if you had to like 
get them to explain how money works as we understand it, how your credit card works, how your mm. how your mortgage works, how the mm-hmm. dollars in your pocket work. Most people could probably get forty mm, percent of the way there. I think that would be, I I think that would be generous for me. I I I could not get forty percent of the way there. I don't think. <laughs> and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's a hard. It's a hard. Concept. Yeah, no, it, it's a it's a big concept. It's and in a lot of ways, it's a is a bullshit concept. There's a lot of uh, a yeah. lot of leaps to get there. Um, but the like, haha, I don't understand Bitcoin is very silly. It's just trite too. I mean, she might as well have come out on Twitter and said like, "Is anyone else hate Nickelback?" <laughs> Like it's just lame. Like like at this point, making fun of Bitcoin, like you're a few years too late on that one. I don't know. That's that's some Pokemon go to the polls level humor, I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that- my petty uh poking fun at her stupid Bitcoin thread <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, speaking of being petty, we have a chapter to get. To. Yeah. But I think we're gonna have some opinions on. So why don't we get to that? Yeah, so this is chapter two. It's called In Memoriam. Wish me luck on this one, huh? Mm. This mo- is this going to be our shortest summary ever. Uh, my I, my notes are really long because it's mostly lore, so I was trying to get all of the details because partially the partially because I don't remember this book. I don't remember what matters and what doesn't. <laughs> um, Fair enough. So Harry, we're we're with we're with Harry at the Dursleys now um we've left voldemort's war war room um and harry is basically organizing all his stuff to get ready for his big quest um it's a little bit of a symbolic scene he's leaving childish thing but things behind he's looking back at all the stuff that's in his school trunk that he's had uh through all his his years at hogwarts oh my uh, god he looks through a mirror darkly he looks through a mirror darkly uh and oh shit he's bleeding he touched the fragment of the mirror that sirius gave him um so that happens um also someone left a cup of tea outside of his bedroom um which harry thinks must be one of dudley's classic pranks Pranks. (laughs) um uh and then what follows um this very small scene of harry doing this is um he reads a newspaper article that we also get to read um and this newspaper article happens to be dumbledore's obituary written by elphias doge that's right. Elphias Doge, no jokes, please. Um, and Elphias Doge was a friend of Dumbledore's in school, and he kind of he frames his obituary around this idea that Dumbledore made friends with him on the first day of school, even though he was kind of shunned by the other students because he had uh, dragon pox right before he came to school. Um, we get a little bit of Dumbledore's background, which is that um, he had come to school and... and um, his dad was infamous for torturing and maybe killing some muggles. There were some, uh, you know, high-profile crimes. He was very prejudiced uh, against muggles. Um, but Dumbledore came to school, and he wasn't prejudiced. He was a good guy. Um, and and quickly, his fame at school eclipsed his father's infamy uh, because Dumbledore was just so darn good at school. Um, he was clearly meant for great things. Um, and, you know, he immediately was winning prizes and was getting published. And, he, and as he was going through his, his school days at Hogwarts, people were like, oh, he's going to become the Minister of Magic. He's so, so smart and brilliant and good. Um, he also had a younger brother that came to Hogwarts um, after him, Aberforth Dumbledore, um, who was quite different from him, uh, but they did get along. 
uh, Dumbledore and Elphias Doge, we're going to go on a then traditional um, like world tour uh, after after they graduated from Hogwarts. Um, but Dumbledore had to uh, not go at the last minute because his mom suddenly died and he had to take care of his um, siblings, Aberforth and Ariana. Um, while Elphias was on the vacation tour, um, Ariana died tragically and Dumbledore really wouldn't talk about what happened. Um, but still, Dumbledore has so many cool accomplishments. He also fought the coolest, most epic duel of all time against Grindelwald. Um, and the obituary con- concludes uh, by saying that Dumbledore was just like a very cool guy that did a bunch of stuff and was very kind and uh, would always kind of extend um, compassion for anyone, regardless of how insignificant they were. Uh, he also worked toward the greater good um, Harry he finishes reading the article and he's like, oh, I feel weird about this. Um, I didn't really know Dumbledore at all. I didn't know he had a sister. I didn't know like any of this. Um, he was always just Dumbledore as I knew him to me. Um, and maybe I should have gotten to know him better. Um, Harry is like cleaning his stack of daily profits that he's had uh, at the Dursleys. And he sees a small headline that he hadn't noticed before. Uh, and it's an interview that Rita Skeeter did with uh, someone from the newspaper. And Rita Skeeter is about to release a biography about Dumbledore. Um, the article is basically like a piece of uh, like marketing for this biography that's going to come out. Um and and we find out find out kind of at the top here that it's 900 pages long and she's going to release it uh, you know within 4 weeks of Dumbledore dying so there's a little bit of like skepticism in the article like oh well how did she write it that fast if it's true um in the interview she kind of goes back and forth with the interviewer um who says that Elphias Do- Doge had accused uh Rita Skeeter of mostly making stuff up for the book and she is dismissive and says like, no, that's, you know, he's just completely crazy. Um, Rita Skeeter won't really give away what happens in the book, but her big implications are that she's uncovered a bunch of dirt on Dumbledore, uh, such as him dabbling in the dark arts when he was a child, um, not being open-minded in his youth, uh, and, and his mom and sister also getting up to some like unnamed bad stuff. She found Um, his old tweets. She found old tweets and she's got she's got the receipts and she's going to publish it in this in this book. Um, She also says that, like, he plagiarized some of his research and his famous duel was actually not as cool as people are saying. Um, And and near the end of the article, she also talks about how um, she's just really close friends with Harry Potter. And she's dedicated to chapters of the book about the Potter Dumbledore relationship um, where Dumbledore has been manipulating him. And it's been uh, very sinister and on and on and also kind of. Uh, talks about the night he died. Is like, oh, was Harry there? What, did he fall? Was he murdered? Was he pushed? On and on. So it's just like a salacious, uh, you know, yeah, you know, you know what it's about. Oh yeah. Uh, Harry, Harry gets to the end of the article and he's he's fucking pissed and he yells out the window and is so mad at Rita Skeeter. Um, and in a moment where he is holding the fragment of the mirror, he thinks that he sees a blue eye looking back at him, the blue eye of Dumbledore. But no, Dumbledore is dead. And he'll never see that blue eye again. That's the end of the chapter. First of all, I I had not put together the putting away childish things and looking through a mirror darkly thing mm. until just now. So thank you uh-huh. for that. You're welcome. That was powerful. Mm-hmm. I should have I should have caught that. Right. It's very obvious. That is where this book is going. Um. <laughs> um. I have. This is very off topic. 
but mm-hmm. it's I but it is something that has been kicking around in my head ever since I read this chapter. I can't stop thinking about this like this Rita Skeeter Dumbledore book marketing interview thing in here mm-hmm. and the uh the Rodham book that no. has been been hot online this week. It has been hot online. Yeah, it's getting pretty, hot and heavy. It's a pretty hot book, I think. Yeah, and I'm just now I'm picturing you know, where is, you know, th- obviously this is the anti-Dumbledore book. Is Alphias Doge writing the, the sexy Dumbledore book? Is that the dichotomy we have here? Mm, I would certainly hope so. This is the, yeah, this is the, Rita Skeeter is writing the the Dumbledore, you know, D- Dumbledore, I found Dumbledore's old tweets here, the receipts, and Alphias Doge is ri- writing all the books about how Dumbledore loves cream pies. That's the, that's the dichotomy here that is being offered to us the reader yeah for anyone that's blessedly out of the know someone did publish <laughs> their hillary clinton fan fiction their speculative hillary clinton fan fiction where hillary clinton did not get married to bill clinton but don't worry there are a lot of sex scenes with him anyway she loves to fuck in this book yeah and it's very and it's very empowering and i'm not making fun of it at all wink, mm, wink. i don't I think Alphias Doge is just an upstanding fellow, and he wouldn't do something like that. He wouldn't. He would never. He would never write real person fan fiction about although Dumbledore. Although, if he were to, it might be more appropriate in this case because Dumbledore is dead. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I guess. I guess at that point, it's at least historical fiction, and and not. <laughs> Yeah, like barely, like his body might be warm still, which is yeah. still kind of uh, towing the line, I would say, but yeah. um, maybe better that, that he's dead and doesn't have to see that it exists. <laughs> no hor- no horny Dumbledore exaltations, please. Um, This is a really weird chapter. I'm struggling with it because it, it, it it's almost a great idea i think in that i like i like this basic idea of, of like here is here is one perspective on this very famous dead guy and here's another perspective on this very famous dead guy where is the truth what are the agendas of these people writing these things blah 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 um, I wish we didn't have to spend 90% of the chapter reading two newspaper articles. Like, if this was an RPG where I had picked up these two pieces of paper in a big level and read mm-hmm. them myself, I yeah. think that would have been great. Not as exciting in a book, I feel, at least putting them so close together like this. It is most of the chapter. Like, most of the text in this chapter is just two newspaper articles. I, I think that this... Like, regardless of the ideas going on here, regardless of the lore, it really can't escape just how horribly boring it is. Yeah. I, I had to read and reread. I had a tough time getting through this one. It is just so painfully boring. Some of that is some preference stuff, just mm-hmm. because I don't care about the lore. That is, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, it's kind of low on my, on my, um priority list for Mm -hmm. these books and and it's kind of been like creeping forward uh, like in importance starting with half-blood prince i think yeah it almost feels like jk rowling just either got sick of or got confused when everyone just kept asking her lore questions like oh who's dumbledore who are dumbledore's parents does dumbledore have any siblings what did 
what did Voldemort's orphanage look like? Like mm-hmm. all of that stuff. And then they're all in here and I just don't care. Right. Yeah. Alphias Doge is apparently a character we have met before. I think we, I think he might be from book one uh, or something like that. Like I, I, I vaguely remember that he might be like one of the people Harry meets in the Leaky Cauldron or something like that. That makes sense. Or he's the guy in purple who Vernon sees. It's something like that. Um, but he might as well be a new character here because he's certainly never had a speaking role on anything remotely important up till this point. Um, which makes the second part of this being the Rita Skeeter thing such a bummer because, like, the Rita Skeeter article in this is the more interesting one, mm-hmm. except for the fact that I think think it tips its hand way too early here. Mm. If I think that if you excise the paragraph about her just boldface lying about being friends with Harry, mm-hmm. it would be a much more interesting addition to this chapter. Like, if, if you didn't know how obviously full of shit she was, it would it would make this a little more thoughtful, I guess, and that, that Harry is maybe having to, for the first time, confront uh, criticism of this guy he really likes, right? Like, I, I think that that is... A much more interesting idea than just having it outright be revealed like oh yeah no she's full of shit immediately i think the thing that i still don't know is that i think that uh, unless i'm just completely wrong there is some truth to what she's saying right because dumbledore did yes. kind of dabble in the dark arts he did get in with grindelwald and have yeah. to uh uh and, and like got into himself. some bad yeah. shit um but this is clearly um, a little self-indulgent from J.K. Rowling's perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it's a very, this is such a weird chapter because it is, it is a very interesting concept that I think is just impossible to make interesting in this format, right? Like, I, I, I like the idea of reading various different perspectives on a character from other characters and like you know piece you know filing through what are the agendas at play here what are the biases at play here what's the truth is there you know can you derive any sort of truth from these two different like i i like that kind of thing a lot but like this is harry potter and maybe this is because we're reading it a chapter at a time and the first chapter was also like not much actually happening um and and it was like here's voldemort in his war room killing a character that we've never met before but mm-hmm. like at this point I'm just like please can we can something happen already can can we get to the can we get the story going let's go we've got we're on book 7 out of 7 we got to hit the ground running here Yeah it's really boring I <laughs> I I can't shake I can't shake this idea um that we talked about a little bit that I feel like this chapter was written to be a prompt for like an English test in the 8th grade <laughs> Yeah, that is the vibe, right? It's like here's two new ar- news articles. Which one is biased? How is it biased? Like, which one do you think is more truthier? It's just very bland. And the the this like bookending device of Harry bleeding because of the mirror, I think, is at least it's it's interesting. It's at least, and, and maybe I'm maybe I'm giving it too much leeway because it is at least Harry content in the Harry Potter book. Right. And it's like, damn, I like it when the main character has feelings and thoughts. Um, 
I, I like I appreciate the fake out at the beginning. That's like, oh, Harry was bleeding, and then it's a very mundane, like, oh, he cut himself on a mirror thing. Um, um, but it it's a very weird framing bookend device for these very bland newspaper articles that like just don't carry the the like emotional weight of what's going on in this scene like i feel for harry here it's there's a fairly good description of like what his internal thought process is right now but it's just sort of bulldozed by these two very long walls of text that have nothing to do with him they're extremely long also it's really long yeah the first one in particular is incredibly long uh it is six pages in my ebook i think uh it's 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 a it's a lot of words for uh an in, an in character obituary although i would <laughs> speaking of things that could have been cut from the obituaries here i get that this is just being used as exposition but if i personally if i was writing an obituary i would not write about how much i thought that the guy's brother was lame yeah <laughs> that's maybe really... leave that one out also he talked about himself a lot i can't He's... help but notice which that i do like that is at least it's characterful. cute like yeah. I, like it is very funny this idea that someone sat down to write an obituary and was like oh i knew dumbledore i hung out with dumbledore we were gonna go on a on a field trip together he was so go- cool and i was with like that that's funny the part where he's like also his brother was stupid uh that's really bizarre like what, what's the, the the exact phrasing is really in fairness to Aberforth it must be admitted that living in Albus's shadow cannot have been an altogether comfortable experience being continually outshone was an occupational hazard of being his friend and cannot have been any more pleasurable as a brother like damn dude going in that guy. he's dead too you're gonna have to write an obituary for Aberforth after that did the goat thing come up again or am I making that up uh ba not here it's, is it in the rita skeeter article yes i think it is or i can't fuck was the goats thing it's a goats thing in that or it did because we were also reading a jk rowling interview which is not that different from this rita skeeter interview in town um alphias doge darling dodgy dodgy it doge it is in oh here. aberforth is just the tip of the dung heap laughs skeeter no no i'm talking about much worse than a brother with a fondness for fiddling about with goats i always thought the goats thing was just a one like it gets dropped once as a joke by dumbledore in this series but yeah. it's weird that it keeps coming up no it's really fucking weird it's very weird how much the series likes to talk about how much Dumbledore's brother fucks goats. That's a really weird one. <laughs> I I mean, I am pretty willing to just like hand wave it away if it was just the one time, but it really feels like this reflexive like, oh, that was a joke that everyone asked me about, so I have to put it in there. It's like the character like she flanderized her own character that we've only seen once. Yeah, it's really Except it's the flanderization like, is that he fucks goats. Yeah, it's just like not. <laughs> I feel like that's that's a really tough. You know, I I can accept a lot of like heinous things characters do and still like them. I feel like haha, he fucks goats is a really difficult one for me to get past, especially in a children's series. The, the, the problem is is like when Dumbledore says it. 
it can go kind of one of two ways. One of them is like, oh, Dumbledore is is making fun of his brother. Yeah. His brother doesn't actually fuck goats, right? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's 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 like, you know, it's just like brotherly like like haha. Like just just some just some boys cracking jokes, right? Um But at the point where other people talk about it and it comes up in the newspaper, I don't know about that one. That's a weird one. That is, do you think that, like, do you think that, like, she wrote it that way? Because it first comes up, it's, like, in Chamber of Secrets or something, right? It's, like, part of the Hagrid Hut scene, where, like, it's just, like, a like a hand-waved joke that Dumbledore tells Fudge or something, I, I, if I remember right. Um, and, like, it's, I feel like it might have been vague enough there that it could have just been alluding to, like, oh, he just likes goats a lot, and it's weird. And, like, everyone ran with it as, like, oh, he fucks goats. And J.K. Rowling just thought that was so funny she had to, like, keep bringing it up. Because, like, there are all those interviews we've we've read with her, multiple ones, where people have asked her what's the deal with the goats. And she's, like, I'm, like, wink, I don't know, what do you think? And she just kept bringing it up, maybe? I, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or the other thing is, is, is the reveal going to be that, Dumbledore just started this joke and it just spiraled out of control and this is just another one of Dumbledore's sins. Is that the other way this is going? I there's an entry on the Harry Potter wiki that is called Aberforth Dumbledore's Goat Charm. Okay. It's like an entry for a spell. It's a charm, and the effect is that it keeps horns curly and clean. This was a charm used by Aberforth Dumbledore to supposedly keep a goat's horns curly and clean. He was prosecuted because the charm was considered inappropriate, and the incident was reported in a number of newspapers, although Aberforth was unperturbed, perhaps because he could not read. Oh, of course, because he's stupid. I think that this is all derived from a misinterpreted interview with J.K. Rowling. Hmm where she has to explain the goat thing to an eight-year-old. Yeah, that's, I think that is the thing where this all started, right? Because she was like, she, the, the girl asks, what is, what does Aberforth do with goats? And J.K. Rowling's response is to laugh and then say, how old are you? Uh-huh. Which. <laughs> Aberforth fucks goats. That's, that just seems to be true. In the I'm text, just, I mean. Yeah. And also based on her interviews. Uh, this is... I mean, it does say that. It is unknown precisely what was inappropriate about keeping a goat's horns curly and clean, although J.K. Rowling said that that's a joke that works on a couple of levels. Yeah. And later that Aberforth had a strange fondness for goats, perhaps implying something a bit more going on. And also should be noticed that Rowling gave this answer to an eight-year-old, so it is likely that she purposely gave an innocuous answer in that particular moment. Yeah. Uh, I'm also noticing this one on Twitter... In response to a Twitter user's comment, it does not do well to it does not do well to dwell on goats and forget to live. J.K. Rowling stated that just turns Ab- Albus's motto into Aberforth's. So this is this is just like a, a a constant thing she likes to do. So this is this is weird. I don't I don't like it. I don't I don't like it. I, I, I really just thought it was a one-time throwaway exactly. joke. I didn't realize that it was the canonical thing that happened to this character, which is that apparently he was arrested for fucking goats and now can't escape the, <sighs> the shadow of that. Yeah. What a what a fucking bizarre thing to put in your children's series. I mean, I, I, I think it would be fine 
if he just wasn't a character, right? But I think that he ends up being important in this book. Yeah. And, and also, like, what a weird way to establish this character that we're going to meet that I think we've only ever had just be in the room before and we didn't mm-hmm. know who he was, right? Because he's, he's, he's kind of described in the hogshead one time. Yeah. It's also a strange one to to like have as a running gag when the also the like the major like beef that JK Rowling has with journalism all throughout this series is like rumors spiraling out of control and becoming truth and like this this like there's there's this thing that like I don't know if if it had just been like oh Dumbledore tells tells a mean joke about his brother and won't let it go, and it just spirals out of control, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's one way to have that be thematically consistent, but for it to appear as yet another funny punchline in this uh, uh, scene where we're supposed to be going like, hmm, damn, Rita Skeeter does take a lot of things out of context and tell a lot of lies, right? It's just like, you can't have it both ways in the same scene. What a weird one. I mean, I'm really, sure it goes over most kids' heads, right? I mean, that yeah. seems to be true, but it's it's a little strange. I'm interested once we actually meet Aberforth. Yeah, we could be I totally don't remember wrong. it all. Maybe, maybe maybe we get to Aberforth and he says, "I don't fuck goats." That's it's a, all lies. It's all lies. And and fuck Dumbledore for ever telling that joke. Like I don't know. Who knows? I we we could be completely wrong here, but it does the the combination of what's written here. This is like the third time this has come up, combined with those very evasive interview questions she's answered in a way where it just seems like she's having having a laugh it's difficult not to look at this and go huh what's going on (laughs) what's up i have a this is a weird chapter to talk about because like it's impossible to talk about like in order right like this is not one that we have to like walk through point by point no it it might be a good chapter to talk about in short answer format on perhaps an eighth grade english test would be (laughs) how i would describe it i'm so baffled by the choice to use the mirror as a symbol in this chapter Mm. specifically because this whole chapter is about how harry is feeling remorseful for never really knowing Dumbledore. And now he's lost the opportunity to get to know Dumbledore better. He's reading these obituaries and he's going like, damn, I didn't know any of this stuff. I thought I knew the guy. And really all I did was talk to him about Horcruxes. I think that's a really interesting thought for Harry to have. Mm -hmm. Um, What is very strange to me is for this, and kind of sad in a way that like, if it was intentional, if this is the if this is what the read of the scene is meant to be, I think is quite interesting and tragic. Um, this idea that like this is the mirror that Sirius gave him that he never used, and he also like never got a chance to get to know Sirius better. Partially his own fault for never facetiming him with the mirror, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's sad. And then for for him to like supplant his feelings about Dumbledore onto this mirror that is a very clear symbol of these, uh, you know, lost feelings to Sirius. That's a bummer. Like that's, that's sad, right? Like that's, that's really grim. It, it feels, I, I say this phrase a million times, but this just feels like a missed opportunity because I, I love this moment for Harry, right? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's kind of like, 
cheesy, but it is so relatable. It's that moment that you have when you're 16 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to have this realization. And it's my parents are people. Yeah. Right. Or like my teacher, my like the the adults in my life, there's like authority figures are are people with feelings that make mistakes and 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 were kids once and and on and on. But what a weird realization to have about Dumbledore, because it 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 again just feels like this the text is telling me that they have this like father son relationship that we like we are never really shown that yeah this is a lot of (laughs) there's like obviously it couldn't have gone this way because i think i think this book was already out by the time the movies came out right Mm -hmm. Uh, or by 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 the time movie six came out um and uh this feels like a direct sequel to the scene that we really liked in the movie where Dumbledore is like, oh, you need to start shaving, right? Yeah. Like, because because that is a genuinely great moment in the movie that we never get in the books, right? Um, and there's, like, this weird amalgam of these, these, like, two versions of Dumbledore and Harry that I have to think about to, like, squeeze a full character out of, almost. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, like, the way that this reads, and, and, and... This is a thought I'm going to hold on to because I think it is actually maybe the way that I can squeeze the most character out of book Harry. Mm-hmm. But Harry is like a baby bird who, mm. whenever a male over the age of 30 appears in front of him, he becomes his dad. Uh, and... But and like not only that, but like as soon as one exits his field of vision, the next one becomes the new dad. Right. And and like that is a really cool concept for a character, like a very tragic character, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I don't know. I think that might just be me wringing the absolute most out of these books to get a character for Harry because. It is it is truly bizarre for Harry to like see this broken mirror. I mean, like it is it is the most obvious symbol in the world, a broken mirror, right? Like that is a loaded image in any story. Yes. Um, and and for him to does he mention Sirius once in this chapter? Uh yeah, but only to exposit to us to see what mirror the mirror is. Okay, so so there's nothing there's nothing about like how he feels about seeing this broken mirror that Sirius gave him that he never used to talk to Sirius. I mean, there must be right, but it seems like it kind of pulls it all together, and and again, it feels like it's more for the benefit of the reader than Harry to go back over what he's been through, and it's like it points out an <laughs> artifact from each year. Yeah, that he was at school, but it, I don't think it really connects emotionally to like him and what he thinks about Sirius. Because, because they and like this is beyond sub. This is like sub subtext here because like because I don't think it's the intended subtext, but it's like Harry just not only losing Dumbledore, but like Harry has just like lost every single person he considers a father figure in the span of like six years, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like it, like that's. That's powerfully sad and a very interesting thing to put a character through. Um, 
the fact that he is just like like the, it's specifically the moment that this ends on where he's like you know he's never gonna see the blue eyes of Dumbledore ever again and it's like yeah you're never gonna see Sirius again either who gave you that mirror you're never gonna see you know he's not dead yet but like Lupin's biting it in this book <laughs> you'll I mean, see so, I mean Lupin is also like moving on with his life right like that that's the other thing that's mm. like the other side of the coin even if someone doesn't die Harry is like, like has to have this realization I mean he doesn't because it doesn't matter. It's him. Lupin being with Tonk suddenly is completely, utterly immaterial to the story. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. sorry. It just it is completely <laughs> meaningless. We we don't know their relationship or what it means to them as characters. All we have to go on is how Harry might feel about that. He doesn't care. They're just getting paired off. But there is something you could do with that, right? Because like, really, like, yeah, like oh, realizing my this father... guy who was your teacher, who you had these very, like, very important teenage growth moments with, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, like Lupin is absolutely the closest thing to a father figure Harry has in book three, and then realizing that, like, that you know that. Not not only isn't it part of Lupin's life anymore, it couldn't be, right? Like, mm-hmm. like that was yeah. Lupin's he's trying to jo- go on and and have his own family, right? Yeah, like, like Lupin has a job that could be interesting. Yeah, yeah. Realizing that, like, oh, like like Lupin was only there for me for a year, and it's not really like his fault or anything. But it's like, damn, that's kind of sad that I don't have that in my life anymore. Like, just like thinking about this, like like book book two, he has like Gilderoy Lockhart, who's like the shitty dad uh who who he gets in a fight with and sends to the mental hospital book three you've got lupin uh uh book four we've got moody who has turned out to be fake and not moody uh book five uh who's his dad in book five serious serious yeah serious is his dad realizing his dad is a is a is a weird shut-in who who's maybe not as mature as he thought he was uh book six the book is my dad Oops, mm, turns mm-hmm. out Snape is my dad. Hate that. Don't like having Snape as my dad. And now book seven, Dumbledore is my dad, and I haven't I never connected with him. That's like that's powerfully sad. And like a really good run of characters that have been in Harry's life. And it is it is so fascinating that the, the this this chapter and this this book and maybe this entire series, I don't I don't know if any of this is really touched on ever again just has this really potent character idea on the table that it just never really focuses on. And also, I guess, kind of makes it sadder just by not focusing on it. Like, like the fact that, that Harry is in this, in this scene looking at this mirror and just not thinking about how much Sirius meant to him at all and only focusing on Dumbledore, you know, the, the, the latest one, the latest model that he's, he's lost is sad. <laughs> That's a bummer. Yeah, I, it it is remarkable to me that it is not it is not recognized that these are artifacts of all of his loss of these figures. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I, yeah, right. Like it's 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 a little weird that he he is just not only is he like losing these figures, he is like because of the way the story is written, he is like dis- ultimately just like discarding them completely. Uh, and, and, and only thinking about the latest one in his life. And that is 
deeply sad. Um, but also I don't think, I, I think that is a deeply sad thing that I have had to sort of like pull a lot of stuff out to make work as a character thing. Cause I, cause obviously this is, this is meant to be a, like, I'm getting ready for adventure chapter, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the mirror also, I could just be wrong about this, but maybe the mirror comes back later, because the eye is Aberforth, right? Yes, if I remember right, it is Aberforth's eye, because it's his brother, right? Like it's, it's just, this so much feels like every, because he is going through all of these artifacts, right? And it is somewhat for the reader, where we go like, oh, wow, We've been through so much with Harry, right? Mm -hmm. But it feels like this transformation of all these emotional moments, but turning them into tools that are going to make the plot happen, right? It's <laughs> like, take all the feelings you might have out of these objects. Yeah. That are now We now must equip them to go on this adventure and have them... Uh, like able to be the mechan like pure mechanics of the plot. Like we need to talk to Aberforth through this mirror. So like extract Sirius from it completely. Not only that, but the adventure that he is going on is finding objects that are imbued with a character's soul to remove the soul from. <laughs> I like that a lot. Right? That's, it's weird. Wow. <laughs> He's going on an adventure to remove symbolism from from objects. We will remove the themes. We are going to remove <laughs> the facts. We are going to remove the characters. It all is dust. We Anti-themes. <laughs> Anti-characters. Harry has become a hardline Dadaist. <laughs> Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's the new plot of Deathly Hallows. <laughs> Yeah, no it's, meaning. It's it's very strange, um, and it's and I and I think ultimately, it is this this series. One of this series' greatest failings is like, I mean, like you were saying at the beginning of this chapter, how this this felt like a lore dump chapter, right? Mm -hmm. Is that this series has so many incredible characters that it just refuses to engage with <laughs> and just like either kills off or gives nothing to do or invents a new character to do the thing that the other character probably could have done in a much more thematic and like interesting way right it's like i'm baffled by how good all these characters are and how little they get to do or be e even in the story at all a lot of the time it, yeah, it just seems like somewhere along the line, the thread and the interest was lost. I, I think about this chapter and, and this kind of loss of meaning um, as just uh, the Patronus in a hyperbolic chamber. Oh, out, yeah. Like, completely out of control, right? Like, I, like, thinking back all the way to book three... I don't care that Harry shouldn't have been able to make a Patronus, right? It yeah. is an emotional, meaningful moment for that character. It's powerful. I like it a lot. But it's like the Patronus, it's like, oh, Ron's is a dog because I like dogs. And like <laughs> Hermione's is an otter because I like otters. Everyone can make Patronuses now. They are now the the tool, right? They are the yeah. tool to fight Dementors. They are... Yeah. 
all meaning is taken away. And th- and this chapter just start out Deathly Hallows with this like stripping of just like here's lore. I'm bu- like I'm making the world. I'm f- I'm quote unquote fleshing it out. Mm-hmm. But it's just lost everything. It has lost yeah. all of its substance. It's all just like facts and trivia and family trees, and it just it doesn't. <laughs> It's boring. <laughs> We're going to be getting a new Patronus ability in like two chapters. Oh, are we? Yeah, because this is the the I, I remember this part. The um the the way that they find out that the ministry is under attack is the uh Kingsley's Patronus appears at the wedding to deliver mm. a message and it speaks in Kingsley's voice. Well, isn't that handy? Isn't that handy that there is a not only can it kill the mentors, uh, and I guess also deliver swords or whatever. That's something that we know it's going to be able to do. <laughs> it will, it will also be able to talk. It can just do everything. It's it's like your little smartphone that you have to think happy thoughts to to make appear. Well, that is that is so handy that the charm itself became instead of a thing that barely any adult wizards can do because it's so difficult into a thing that just everyone can do if they just try hard enough. Yeah, it's it's wild. I don't <laughs> I don't know why. Again, again, a a a a powerful symbol stripped of meaning to be used as a as a like. Uh, just a, just a, used as a lightsaber, you know, like it, it, it just becomes, it's no longer, it, it really is the like episode two. What if there were a hundred Jedi with a hundred lightsabers? You <laughs> thought those were pretty cool, right? Like, like no longer is this like a personal weapon with some like symbolic meaning to the character. It's just a cool laser sword that a million people hit, hit guys with. Like it's uh it's a bummer to watch that kind of thing happen with stories. Yeah, it just it just gets too down in the weeds, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or not down in the weeds enough. It's like it's like rejecting the weeds. I want to get down in the weeds of like what mm, all these objects yeah. mean to these characters and like what these character relationships are, right? Yep. Like I I want to be in the weeds right now. We're in book 7. T- take me to the weeds, please. There are too many weeds though. We're t- like our attention is so split between all That's of this true. stuff. I can't believe we're getting the Deathly Hallows in this book. Are the Horcruxes not enough? Oh god, that is so Yeah, we have 5 Horcruxes to deal with and we have 3 Deathly Hallows that are also going to be important and are also And this is the funniest thing. The 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 way that this this is going to be a a recurring thing in this book on this podcast until we get to the actual um uh uh, uh three brothers story and maybe even until we get to the, like the purgatory scene with Dumbledore mm-hmm. at the end the way that this book out of nowhere becomes J.K. Rowling's The Partner's Tale. Mm. is mm-hmm. so wild and funny to me <laughs> because that's what a lot of this chapter is doing is rearranging the pieces on the board hastily to make Dumbledore the partner. And mm-hmm. it's, yep. it's like, I'm so curious why that, that was the idea for this book. Um, uh the 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 three brothers tale is a very extended chaucer reference jk rowling was a classics major you know obviously like this is her bag it's my bag too i'm i'm not 
anti doing partner's tale references um <laughs> please put chaucer references and stuff i'm all for it um but the the way that it it has like become this all of a sudden when at no point really in the harry potter series has that mattered or have we ever gotten any glimpse of like the three brothers tale as like a culturally relevant thing to wizards like i can just because i know that that's where this is going like i can i i can see the matrix right i can see the parts of dumbledore's character that all of a sudden we're supposed to care about in this chapter that have never mattered before like, we thought that Dumbledore was a villain in book six, but not because he had a checkered past. It was because he was acting like a goddamn villain. <laughs> right. Um, uh, he, was the, he was the neoliberal Superman in book six. Um, but here, all of a sudden, there's this like, oh, Dumbledore has a checkered past. What could he have done? What's going on? You know, is he really a, a, as good a guy as we all believe? And like, that has only matter that has only ever been shown to us that has only ever been a concept the ghost of a concept in chapter two of book seven never has that ever popped up anywhere else the only people who have ever doubted dumbledore in books one through six out of seven have been people who are obviously wrong uh you're a lord of the rings nerd oh yeah i'm not Mm mm-hmm uh is did Gandalf have a childhood? No, Gandalf is a Maiar. He like popped out fully formed Dumbledore, he's a, right? He is, he is more or less an angel. He 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 always has been. He was yeah. He popped out as Ian McKellen. He has just been that dude always. So maybe this is maybe this is the split. Maybe this is the you think he's Gandalf? I'll show you. What if Gandalf had a fucked up childhood? Yeah, I guess I just was like thinking about harry reflecting and and he and harry specifically thinks to himself i always i always thought that um like or rather not that i always thought but like i always thought of him of him my self-conception of him was that he just was always dumbledore right mm-hmm. he's always that guy so it almost feels like a kind of reflexive like harry being like oh i always thought dumbledore was gandalf but he's not he's yeah the partner <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is I I desperately want to know if Harry like cuz Harry has recognized a lot of weird things that he maybe shouldn't have. Like he mm-hmm. Harry's gotten a lot of references to things that we know that he technically never would have known. Mm-hmm. I'm desperate to find out if once we get to the three brothers tale if at some point Harry has a line that's like, oh, if this reminds me of a, of a muggle story, but I can't remember what it is or something. I doubt it, but like, I want to know if that's there because that would be very funny. <sighs> you know, if Harry Potter ever gets a TV show, they better have Dumbledore give him, give Harry uh, like a copy of um, the Tales of Beetle the Bard like you know, yeah. first fucking episode. Do you know how much that would fix about this entire series? <laughs> I think like I I think if you were to build a list in like order of of magnitude of like small changes you could make that would have a radically positive effect on the whole series that's got to be like number 1. 
If if J.K. Rowling weren't so invested in this mythology of her just knowing everything ahead of time, mm-hmm. um, and if I were her, I would just release a new edition of Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> just just put it in there. Like have when Harry meets Dumbledore for the first time, or or at the end of the book, Dumbledore can be like, "Hey, you're new to the Wizarding world. Here's what here's the book that all the Wizarding kids get. Here you go." That would be so perfect. It'd be it coming from Dumbledore would make it even better, right? Mm-hmm. Because then, because then you get the part. Then you get the parallel of like, oh, he is the partner. Then you could make the partner thing work. <laughs> if he is the old man, if he is the old man telling the story to Harry, in like the meta sense, that is that would be very appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I just think that 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 is out of all the things that you could change about Harry Potter that would one make me believe that it was uh, written from the begin, you know, planned out from the beginning, um, and two, just like improve the story like just just orders of magnitude better would be to make excuse me would be to make the um the tales of beetle the bard like a going concern in all the books right because mm-hmm. that would be such a big payoff for like to get to book seven and be like hey remember those like weird goofy fairy tales that ron keeps referencing or whatever those are important to the story that's a I live for that shit. Finding out that something you you read and didn't think about two hours ago was actually super important. That that's my candy. I love that shit. Yeah, it's just it feels like that is such the promise of Harry Potter in some ways, mm-hmm. and sometimes it pulls it off. I I think probably the best example. And even though I don't like Horcruxes, I think an okay example of that, where it clearly wasn't planned, but she was like, oh, I can use this, would be Tom Riddle's diary from the second book. And be like, yeah. oh, that's a Horcrux. I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. That's like classic TV writing, right? Where you like pick something from before and you know, you know that they did, like it wasn't planned, but it's cool. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't have to be planned. It just has to create the illusion that it was, right? Right. Um, but the def- the Deathly Hallows are so grafted on, I think. And, and really, we just have too much. It's too much. We have too much to concern ourselves with in this book already. Yeah, I mean, the, it, um, the other one that I think of that, that, is, uh, that, that is like a surprisingly good one of those that I'm surprised isn't actually like this is the kind of thing where if I was in J.K. Rowling's position, I really wanted to make people believe that I had planned this out all along. I would maybe draw attention to it more is the dream that Harry has in Philosopher's Stone that's like, damn, I saw a green light and I heard Voldemort laughing and it felt like he was inside my head. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a real that, that that you could really lean on that as like, damn, see, I planned the Horcrux thing all along. Harry has Voldemort in his head. Um, but it's thin, I, I, I guess, in, in reality. I want to talk about a couple like details in this chapter. Yeah, I know we've been talking about it sort of broadly. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me see here. Um, I I really laughed at the very beginning here, where he cut his finger and thinks about how it's a damn shame that he hasn't learned any magic at Hogwarts. <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, I I know that magic could could uh, could stitch this right up, but I don't know how to do it. Yeah. Yeah, that d- damn. If only I had been taught that. Do you think is that him? Um, is is that Harry? Uh, uh, about to start ranting about Common Core, like is he? Is oh, he, maybe. Is is he? If if he continued that thought, would he have been like, oh, you know, at Hogwarts they don't teach you anything that you're actually going to use in the Wizarding World. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even teach you how to budget or or heal wounds. 
What is it even good for? I'm not going back to school. <laughs> That's right. That's why I'm not going back to Hogwarts. Going um, to a school of hard knocks in the woods. Yeah, that feels like an important thing to learn, probably. I do agree with Harry there. Although I will say there is one element of that that I did appreciate. Mm. And this is less of a like story thing I appreciate and more of just like I'm relieved that a dumb bullshit thing didn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Which is I you know, whenever we get a Dursley's chapter and we get yeah. Harry stewing in his room at the Dursleys, all I can ever think about is the beginning of book four or five. I can't remember if it's four or five where Harry's just thinking about what a what an annoying bitch Hermione is. She'd probably yeah. if, if I told her that I was feeling bad, she'd probably just look something up for me and try to help. Like, like, like that, that has just stuck with me as just such a bizarre moment for Harry in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciate that his first thought here is like, damn, I bet Hermione could fix this. I'll have to ask Hermione how to, how to teach me to, to do this. And I was like, Oh, that's nice. At least he's like, not sitting in his room stewing about how much he hates Hermione anymore. Yeah, I mean, the worst version of that, if that was uh, Harry's mindset, would be like, oh, I have to ask Hermione, but she's gonna, she's gonna fucking insult me and say I wasn't paying attention in class and and be a big bitch to me if I ask. So. <laughs> if I told Hermione about this, she'd try and heal it. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> if I tell my friend I'm hurting, they'll try and help me. I hate this. Yeah, um, so I, d- I did appreciate that little moment, at least. But uh, I, that, that that's less of like, damn, the story did good, and more of a like, I remember when the story did this real bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, um, can we talk about the greatest duel of all time? The greatest duel of all time. That is the, that is maybe the my biggest, most of my thoughts of this chapter have been about how this Elphias Doge obituary is the blueprint for the rest of harry potter moving forward yeah because i guess we have to talk about fantastic beasts here that's right right. that is that is the the surprise everyone this is a fantastic beasts episode yeah this is this is this is it this is the um this idea that the the coolest wizarding duel happened the coolest fight of all time happened between dumbledore and grindelwald um, and that's like the basis of the Fantastic Beasts movies. I'm pretty sure that we know that that's going to be the end, right? Mm-hmm. That sucks. That sucks so bad. I had forgotten that that concept. So I, I looked this up because I was like, is this where all of these concepts were introduced? Is this really where the entirety of Fantastic Beasts spawned? And it's sort of correct. Apparently, I, this is this is way back to Philosopher's Stone Grindle, Grindelwald being defeated by Dumbledore in 1945 is mentioned on the Chocolate Frog card in Philosopher's mm-hmm. Stone on the train. Yeah. That is the last time he is mentioned until now, which is where we get the other bits filled in that, like, Dumbledore went missing for a summer. Who? What could he have been doing? And, like, ooh, Ariana died. What could have that been about? Um, so this really is the model for the sequel to Harry Potter right here, which is wild to think about because it's this fucking boring obituary. It's, you know, when you read something like this and it's like, this is the coolest fight that ever happened between two wizards and it was Dumbledore and Grindelwald. There's a fan's perspective there where, of course, like, if if we were just doing, like, fandom podcasts, 
podcast right now. Yeah, yeah. We'd be sitting there here and be like, oh, that'd be so cool. We'd love to see that. What could that have been looked like? Like, what spells did they use? Did they use spells that no one had ever seen before? Mm-hmm. Were they perfectly matched? Were they flying around in the air? Like, it was 1945. Like was there cool World War II stuff happening in the background? <laughs> yeah, was Hitler there? Like, what was going on? So there, there is that perspective where it's like, yeah, it, that that line makes you ask those questions and speculate. Yeah. I don't think you ever do a service in actually showing what that is. I don't think yeah. that's that hot of a take. Mm-hmm. Um, but having the greatest duel of all time be something that Harry knows about and that you can kind of play with in the back of your mind is just always going to be more fun than actually seeing what it is. Yeah, I mean, like, and leave it there for fan fiction, right? Like, that's cool, too. But sorry to go back to the Star Wars well, but it is the exact same thing as Clone Wars, right? Mm -hmm. It is saying that, like, oh, I knew your father, he was a general in the Clone Wars in, in A New Hope or whatever. And you're like, damn, that sounds cool. Wonder what those yeah. were. That's a very evocative name, the Clone Wars. And right. then you find out what that actually was, and you're like, okay, well, not, not actually that exciting. I feel like this is the same. Like, oh, Grindelwald's a cool name. Damn, he had a duel with Dumbledore in 19... 19- well, damn, were they, like, on Spitfires? Were they jumping around between tanks? What's going on? I bet that was epic. Like, that's cool. But you can't... There's no way that the that the like film version of that is going to be anywhere near as exciting as anything a fan could come up with in their head with that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think that even this chapter sets it up. Like I can't believe it is so undermined that that Elphias Doge's uh recollection is like, yeah, it was so it was so cool. Dumbledore is so cool. We were best friends. Um so yeah, it was just as epic as you think. Yeah. And everyone talks about it and everyone like remembers what they saw and they've been like and, and you get this impression that people that witnessed it or what happened it became fantastical right it became a legend um and then to have rita skeeter who doesn't like dumbledore and and he's bad and is is like digging up all this dirt to say that like oh the duel wasn't actually very cool yeah and you just and you just wonder like that's that's the cool part about Mm -hmm. dropping that lore is the idea that something happened and you just won't ever know what it was yeah and and the um the other thing is that it just makes the world feel smaller Mm -hmm. because if ever if every little event that is ever mentioned in this series ends up being shown that just means like we have seen the wizarding world from A to Z, right? Like from nope, we saw the coolest duel ever. Yeah, <laughs> we... in all of history, that was nowhere the coolest one, and we got here. to see it. <laughs> Absolutely nowhere to go from here. We have literally seen everything that is ever mentioned in the wizarding world. That's weird, right? Like that's like the literary version of like, I don't know, like like walking into the invisible wall at the end of an open world game. It's mm-hmm. it's it's weird to have that illusion broken that like there's there is actually no more out there for you. You have seen that you have you've seen all five Fantastic Beasts movies now. Congratulations. You have now seen every little concept that was ever mentioned in Harry Potter. Like you have you have you have squeezed that orange dry at that point. And that's never I would hate to be in that position with any story I liked, right? Yeah, and and it just is uh, 
It's like you're trying to tell me that the coolest wizarding duel happened 50 years ago between a character we know. <laughs> and like, oh, and here it is. That Then that's it. This is a world where Merlin exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. King Arthur is real in this universe. Uh, <sighs> and, and there was Merlin. There's a. Te- yeah. All that shit. And the coolest duel ever was in 1945 between between two two gay wizards and not only uh will we not actually show you that they were gay uh in in the film we will just be showing you the cool epic duel it will be a 30 minute cgi unreal unreal engine demo uh and that's that you got the story you you've literally seen everything in the story you've gotten the triforce <laughs> like like you've just you've 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 expunged this world of any mystery now uh bummer right yes <sighs> yeah we also get the greater good uh name drop which i can't tell if is on purpose or not isn't that what grindelwald's that's his, grindelwald's like, that's that's his version of work will set you free that's his like ominous german phrase that's like imprinted on his nazi skull in the yeah. movie yeah it's uh not subtle. <laughs> but Dumbledore, have a, he really I, serves the greater good, you know? Not like yeah, he actually guy. does. He actually does. Um, I have a most underlined uh, line in the Elphias uh, Doge Ooh. Um, obituary, um, which is, Albus Dumbledore was never proud or vain. He could find something to value in anyone, however apparently insignificant or wretched. I hate that quote. <laughs> I really hate that, and, and and it is a quote that I would love if Elphias Doge was more of a character, mm-hmm. and if like if Elphias Doge was this like really pompous ass, right? Like mm-hmm. uh, it is, it is really good. But because we because this is like being presented to us as more or less the like the good take on Dumbledore, right? Right. I, I, it's a very weird thing to to uh, a way to phrase your story about like overcoming prejudice right it's like oh i don't care how wretched you are you miserable <laughs> little worm it is trying to evoke biblical language yes the uh the, the concept of 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 you know caring for the the wretched and the sinners and whatnot that's a little different from saying like i'm not racist <laughs> that's a different different co- both good ideas to hold in your head not the same idea i would say uh, yeah, I mean, this is just a very modern story in, is, in its own context, yeah, you know? Yeah, that is trying to also be a biblical story. Uh, it's, and it's just, it doesn't work. The, the, that's oil and water. You can't, you can't put those two specific allegories together at the same time. No. I want to talk about one last thing with this chapter. Sure. I want to talk about your ebook. Yes, it's haunted. Your haunted ebook. Uh, we posted an excellent video. Of 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 the the wretched contents of the inside of the book. Well, can you explain what the hell's going on with it, please? So I, you know, I have been reading the same like editions, I suppose, of Harry Potter this entire time. Um, I did start with print copies, um, but they are just like the just original illustrations and all of that. Um, never has there been 
any like inline illustrations, right? There mm-hmm. have just been the chapter illustrations for six books. I can think of a couple times where it did some stuff with font, um, like the Potter Stinks badge. Yeah, uh, was like an inline. It, it like there was like a paragraph break, and it was there, and it, it was in a different font, and, mm-hmm. and all of that. But first thing, there is the very first inline illustration in this book, um, and it is a portrait of Albus Dumbledore that is in line with the obituary, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's supposed to have been printed in the newspaper. (laughs) Um, My first problem with it, and the illustration is very cute. But it looks like a Warcraft 2 portrait. Yeah. yeah, it looks yes, it looks like a it looks like an RTS portrait when you click on a unit and see their big dumb face. Yes. It's so tiny. Mm-hmm. Like I'm I'm reading it on an iPad, so I guess that's probably why just because it kind of fills the space. Mm-hmm. But the portrait is like just a tiny little Warcraft 2 portrait of Dumbledore in the corner. And the reason it's haunted is that for some reason it moves around. And I don't mean and I don't mean I don't mean in the way that like I showed in the video. Um but like sometimes it's on different pages. Sometimes it's like right at the top of the of the obituary. And and the iPad is like oriented in the same direction, but then sometimes it's on the page after, just like in line <laughs> in the corner. And then also sometimes when I'm flipping through it, it will have, because um, I can well so, not I can't right now, but sometimes it can be clicked and it will fill the whole screen. Like look at this picture, but it stays small. But sometimes it just does that on its own. So I'll flip the page and it's just like blank screen with a tiny Dumbledore portrait. (laughs) It's so good. I'm so upset that I'm the one who paid extra for the quote-unquote enhanced edition of Deathly Hallows ebook. Uh-huh. And you're the one who's got the haunted haunted copy. Yeah. You- I can't even get it to fill the screen anymore. It's so fucking good. I- so my- I, I was doing some research into this. The the copy that I bought is part of a series called the Harry Potter Enhanced Editions that are, are, are touted as having over 200 illustrations and animations and annotations in. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen one illustration so far, which is a picture of Malfoy Manor. Um, okay. I've seen zero animations. Mm. And I've seen zero annotations. And, like, without skipping... I'm, I'm scrolling through my ebook right now. I'm just... Just really combing through this thing as fast as I can, trying to find where... Okay, so there's a second illustration on page 111. Oh my god. Uh, How much more money was that? It was like three bucks more than the normal one, I think. I'm scrolling again, scrolling, scolling, scrolling, scrolling. So page 111 uh, out of 1,406... Uh, this is this is on my phone, so it, it's not. It, it's smaller pages for sure, but uh, okay. Ah, a second illustration appears on page one hundred eighty nine. So nearly ninety pages later, is the second illustration. I'm just very. I'm where where is my three dollars worth, and also where are my animations? Because uh, in the video they show a very cute animation of. Um, Pigwidgeon. Mm-hmm. And I want some cute owls in my book. That would yeah. be great. 
Um, but then the other one they do is uh, they link to an unlisted YouTube video that's called Golden Switch Golden Snitch AVI that is just <laughs> that is just a um, a like flash animated Golden Snitch that has like six frames of animation. And I'm like, if if are those the annotations I'm gonna get? Am I gonna be clicking these these links and finding like unlisted youtube videos of like here is the sword coming out of the lake if so i'm all for it um that I'm sounds starting great to get concerned that we are either part of a creepypasta or some sort of arg between the haunted dumbledore and you going to unlisted youtube videos <laughs> unlisted called like YouTube. golden snitch.avi yeah i <laughs> it's sinister is what it is you've got the creepypasta book and i'm in the arg uh-huh this is yeah we we've this is a very weird development for the last book in this series but yeah i'm i'm so disappointed that 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 i i thought i was going to have the funny ebook i was like i'll pay the extra money this will be a laugh um and it turns out that you actually got the one that was straight up haunted I, I crack up every time I see the Dumbledore portrait in just a different place in the text. And it's also, it is just so small. Like, it looks so silly. It's very, it's a very cute drawing of Dumbledore. It's very funny that it keeps appearing. I'm excited to, one, see if there are any more illustrations like that in your book. And two, if the Dumbledore keeps appearing. Like, is he going to appear on more pages? Is he going to be your constant companion? I I'm so curious to know. With, you know how much more of this little Dumbledore we're going to be seeing? It's just—it's quite the thing to spring on me after six books. <laughs> so there were no other ones in any of the other. Uh, uh, I other, I other... don't think so. Yeah, I I don't remember because I I had the paper copies, which I think I think the ebooks you're reading are like more or less just like the paper copies because you have all the Marie Grand Prix illustrations, right? For chapters mm-hmm. and stuff. So yeah. I think you're basically just reading ebooks of like the American editions of the novels. Yeah. So yeah, I never saw an inline illustration in any of those. I mean, I guess I guess we got some poems at the top of of this book too, which none of the other books had and now there are some inline illustrations, so they really went all out for this. Yeah. Well, if if anyone is listening who still has a paper copy of the American Deathly Hallows, please let us know if the t- the little Warcraft Dumbledore is there for you because I want to know where this came from. Just some homework for our listeners, you know. A- absolutely, and if and if he moves around in your paper copy, <laughs> if I, he moves around, your- I would definitely close burn it, it or something. Yeah, close it, burn it, throw it away. Definitely get definitely get rid of it. It it is cursed. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's kind of it for me in this chapter. I'm desperate to get into some actual plot movement at this point. Yeah, this is really boring. Yeah, it is. This is two two chapters of setup for the last book in the series. I just kind of want to hit the ground and start running. I'm sure I will be regretting those words as soon as the plot does hit, but but for right now, I'm like, damn, plot, please, hurry up. Yeah, this was really not much of an attention grabber for the last book. No, not at all. Uh, not Not very exciting. But that just means we have a little extra time to read an interview for our third segment. So I think we should take a break and get ready to read uh, a real-life Rita Skeeter interview with (laughs) one J.K. Rowling. Sounds good.
Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Um, this week, and perhaps next week, and maybe even the week after that, we are doing something a little different in our third segment. Um, you may remember us talking about and referencing a famous fan site called The Leaky Cauldron on this podcast a lot. They conducted a very long multi-part interview with J.K. Rowling the day Half-Blood Prince came out. Um, And I think that now is an appropriate time for us to read this because the context of this interview was it was the day that book came out, but they had already read it. So most of this interview uh, is from the perspective of two people who had just read Half-Blood Prince talking to the author about it. Um, And I think that while we still have book six close in the rear view, uh, we should revisit this because it is a very juicy uh, interview. There's so much lore in here that I ha- had seen referenced and mm-hmm. was j- and couldn't track down. And I've yeah. definitely read a lot of bits and pieces from this interview. Yeah. Um, but it has turned on some some light bulbs for me where I'm like, oh, that's where that came from. It's mm-hmm. from this extremely dense Leaky Cauldron interview. Yes. Yeah. And this is this is an interview that was conducted with. Um, Emerson Sparts of MuggleNet and Melissa Anelli of, uh, of, uh, Leaky Cauldron at once. So it was sort of like a two fan sites coming together to, to interview their favorite author. This is not only is this an interview that is referenced a ton in, in a lot of like fan speculation stuff. I would say that like, like the reason we keep coming back to this interview is because I think that like a shitload of stuff on Harry Potter wiki links back to this interview. Right. Um, and like the subreddit references this interview a lot, but also this has caused a lot of drama apparently. Mm. Um, and I can't exactly remember why. And I'm excited to read this and maybe try and suss out where and why the drama uh, uh, came out of this one. I, I, and I think it was maybe, maybe either the the interviewers or jk rowling like made fun of some other fan site that wasn't there invited <laughs> this thing or something there there's something here and i and there's just a lot of a lot a lot a lot of um jk rowling content here that is very interesting i mean this is a long interview like it's oh, yeah. kind of remarkable that this exists uh the idea of her sitting down presumably for hours yeah Right? It's a big interview. We're we're not getting to all of this today, that's for sure. No, it's extremely dense. She's very chatty and talks. I mean, they go into a lot of specifics here. The idea of her today, say, sitting down with some representatives from MuggleNet and just having a hours-long interview about, say, Fantastic Beasts just seems insane. Yeah. I think the last time she did anything like this was after the last movie came out. She did one of these with Daniel Radcliffe. About right. the film specifically. Yeah. Um, which we should watch at some point, maybe once we finish the films. Um, but this this is like, this is the big one. This is like the J.K. Rowling interview that uh, uh, I think a lot of like fandom and like uh, uh, series historians point to and, and, and reference and cite a lot. So uh, it feels worth digging into. Um, there's also so much text here that I feel like we should maybe go round robin on this one. Sure. Maybe maybe you'll read one and I'll read one, just because there's a lot, a lot of questions here. Mm-hmm. 
Um, would you like to start us off with uh, Emerson Spartz's first question here? Sure. So Emerson Spartz's first question is, who do you discuss Harry Potter with? J.K. Rowling responds, when I'm working on it, you mean virtually no one, which is for me, it's a necessary condition of the work. I have this reputation for being reclusive. Now that came, now that came, I'm not sure that it holds so true in America, but in Britain, you really can't read an article on me. And I, and I read probably a hundredth of what's out there. So I know it must be happening more without the world without the world reclusive being attached to my name. I'm not reclusive in the slightest. What they mean is that I'm secretive and I don't do a lot of I'm secretive because that for me, because that for me <laughs> is, it's really hard to read what someone said verbally. I'm laughing at JK Rowling is very, I, this is me. T- this is me trying to get a thought out in the podcast. I I'm mean, relating to JK Rowling here. I mean, this is a kind of a funny byproduct of it being on the leaky cauldron is that these aren't professional journalists, No, you know, and most of the time this stuff gets cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, a, l- a little bit and 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 get gets turned into a bit of a narrative and on and on so this is the way everyone talks but to try to transcribe it like word for word and then read yeah. it is very funny what they mean is that i'm secretive and i don't do a lot of i'm secretive because that for me it is necessary it is a necessary condition of work it's got nothing to do with the franchise it's got nothing to do with trying to protect quote the property i hate it being called quote the property but other people call it quote the property it's because i think if you discuss the work while you're doing it you tend to dissipate the energy you need to do it you will meet we've all met a hell of a lot of people who stand in bars and discuss the novels they are writing if they were writing they'd be at home actually writing it very occasionally i might tell neil that i say i've had a good day or i've you know i wrote a good joke it made me laugh whatever but i would never discuss in details and then once i've handed in the manuscript then my editors and that's emma who is my uk editor and arthur who's my american editor they would both see the manuscript manuscript at the same time they collaborate on what they think about it and then they come back to me and suggest things of course it's very liberating once someone's read it to be able to discuss it so you know i've kept it quiet for 18 months while i've been working and then you get this explosion because you really want to talk to someone about it now so emma and arthur are the ones who get my first effusions and then it's wonderful to hear what they think they were both very positive about this book they really liked it and then we have arguments as well obviously (laughs) So first off, I like like you say, I love I love that this is a very unprofessional interview. Mm-hmm. Um but also the, this uh very very chatty off the cuff JK Rowling is such an interesting character. This yeah. this thing about like people in who people in bars who discuss the novels they're writing. If they were at home, they'd be actually writing it thing. That's so like that that is a funny anecdote but that's such a funny and venomous thing for like the richest author in the world to say right like i that that's I, such a funny funny perspective i think perspective. there is a consistent amount of contempt that she just has you know i i yeah. don't know it's me it's maybe just like a cultural chill or like it's, i don't know it's very recognizable to me uh, that someone would have where you're just like, you're just a little bit contemptuous, I suppose. Um, mm-hmm. Cause a lot of people talk about their writing while they're writing, right? There yeah. are lots of different kinds of processes. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's different for everybody. I've been um, talking about writing a novel for five years. I haven't written a single word. So <laughs> well, maybe, maybe JK Rowling's right. <laughs> I feel a little called out here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why we're upset. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, shall we move to the next question? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, this is kind of a strange question, but how many times have you read your own story? Uh, to which Joe responds, that is not a strange question. It's a very valid question because once the book is published, I rarely reread. A funny thing I do is when I pick up a book to check a fact, which I obviously do a lot, if I start reading, then I do get kind of sucked in myself and I may read several pages and then I put it away and go back to what I'm doing. But I would never, if, for example, I was heading to the bath and I wanted to pick up something to read, I'd never pick up one of my own books. Therefore, there are thousands of fans who know the books better, uh, much better than I do. My one advantage is that I know what's going to happen, and I've got a lot of backstory. <laughs> this is very funny. I like I like what she says at the top here because to me, um, that is very relatable. I've definitely sat down to like listen to the way our podcast sounds, and then I like listen to it for ten minutes, yeah. and I'll and I'll start laughing. I'm like, oops, I'm laughing at my own jokes here, uh, when, and when turn it first, off. When we first started this podcast, we would gather at night to listen to the entire episode to make sure it was okay Uh which was very fun and very funny to think about also Mm -hmm. just just the two of us very late at night listening to our own podcast and going oh that's actually really funny or like oh yeah that that, that sounded uh better than i thought when i was saying it or or whatever Mm -hmm. um so that to me is very relatable because of course she wouldn't like read her own book as like recreation right i'd never sit down and be like okay i'm gonna listen to my entire podcast podcast. one (laughs) um that that's absurd Uh, so i think this is a cute answer but the way she wraps it up here my one advantage is i know what's going to happen and i've got a lot of backstory (laughs) what does that mean She's she's planned it all out. She's planned it all out and she but she's checking facts a lot, but she has planned it all out, you know? She knows the themes, she knows the characters, she doesn't know all the facts. She doesn't know all the facts. <laughs> Let's go to our next question. Um Melissa Nelly asks, How many boxes is it now of backstory? What a question, huh? What a question. Boxes of backstory boxes and boxes of backstory here it really is hard to say because i'm so disorganized but yeah there's boxes it's mainly in notebooks because the backstory is so valuable so i mainly need that in a format i can retrieve because i lose stuff so it's harder to lose a book than it is a bit of paper yes yes that is true i suppose this is reminding me of that great documentary we saw that was after book uh five or six was written it might have been mm-hmm. around the same time as this actually where she was sitting on her floor going through all those notes and they were all blurred out so you couldn't see what they were and she pulled out she did pull out that yellow folder that says this is the last chapter of the book in here i uh, i am sure i mentioned it when we were watching but i distinctly remember watching that documentary as a child and, oh really yeah oh yeah. E- that that part specifically because it was so like mystical to me that the last chapter of a seven book series just existed in a folder somewhere like and 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 i think that that just really created that the idea of the payoff and Mm -hmm. i'm pretty sure it was the epilogue um i think she said that the last i think yeah, it was either either she called it the 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 epilogue or or it was at least like this is the last chapter. But that carrot on the stick was dangled in front of everyone for the entire series. This idea that there was a uh, that that there were, the ending was already written 
so it, you know, obviously it must be building towards a good conclusion right yeah and and the idea that it was the epilogue and and to go back to what she said about um the idea of the poems wrapping into the epilogue and showing that and her knowing that she brought the series to where it was supposed to go is so mm-hmm. funny in retrospect you know something i'm going to be very curious about when we do get to the epilogue finally uh-huh. um is because it was written first uh-huh. i'm very curious to know if the style is like noticeably closer to her old style because the style in these books has changed quite a bit as as we've oh, drastically on. yeah yeah and i'm very curious to know you know maybe one chapter really won't won't be enough to tell but mm-hmm. i'd be very curious to, to to know like are we going to read that and be able to be able to pinpoint like oh this language feels a lot closer to her more like children's novel style mm-hmm. or or if or if you know you know you know she had 7 years to more than seven years to uh, um, uh, polish it or, or or bring it more in line with with where book seven was uh, uh, narratively. I'm very curious to know what how different it's going to feel when we get there. Yeah. Um, speaking of these boxes where she kept the backstory, did you see her tweets either today or maybe yesterday where she was talking about how she's having a computer bug and all of her oh. folders are messed up? Yes, yes, I did. I did see that her folders are messed up and uh, the. Uh, the advice that everyone is telling her is to just buy a new MacBook, which I find very funny, um, because it sounds like that might be the quickest solution. Well, why uh, wouldn't but, you if you're her? Well, well, that's the thing is she tweeted like, oh, I was hoping it wouldn't come to that. And it's like, who cares? <laughs> what, what is, what, what is, you know, 900 pounds to you? You know, ob- obviously we both have a chip on our shoulder about billionaires right who us who us never never but there's something that's specifically funny to me about rich people ultra rich people who still have all the affectations of like people with normal incomes right Mm -hmm. that is uh such a common thread i think i mean like like the, the thing in this interview that we just read of her talking about like oh what the people down in the pub act like and it's like, do you know, do you actually, does J.K. Rowling just go to, like, the normal person pub and listen to people talking about their novels while they have a drink on the weekend? Like, does J.K. Rowling actually give a shit if she has to buy a new laptop? Like, like all, I find all that stuff so fascinating and such an irritating piece of, uh, like, like a thing that, like, the ultra-rich, like, hold on to, right? Is like this idea, oh, I'm normal, I'm just like you. I hate going to meetings. She was tweeting about like, oh, I hate having to, uh, to to go to a meeting. I was like, when was the last time that you weren't like the the guest of honor at a meeting? It's so weird to think about. Yeah, I mean, I think she even gets into that in this interview as well at some point. Um, uh, but but she also seems. Uh, I, I think that there is a level of investment that she has to be in the media narrative that was popular mm. in the 2000s of her rags to riches story. Like it, yeah. it's almost as if she has kind of looped around and, and um, made that like delusion as part of her, uh, as part of her like PR. Yeah. Her, her, especially, her, like... especially just going back this deja vu of her posting, like where she wrote Harry Potter and, and all of that. <laughs> it's just, it's exhausting. The the person who's the only the only way she's different from you is that she has 
untold riches but other than that exactly the same Uh, (laughs) it's just such a such a weird character to try and maintain um when book seven is out will you keep the website open to keep answering questions (laughs) this is i'm assuming referring to the old website that we have gone to with the rubbish bin and whatnot pre-pottermore right pottermore was completely after the series pottermore was like 2012 or something like that wow yeah, it was it was way after this uh, after the book finished. Um, yeah, I don't see the website closing like on the stroke of midnight when the seventh book is finished. No, definitely not. My feeling is I couldn't possibly answer all the questions because the novel in the is the wrong form in which to, for example, present a catalog of your character's favorite colors. But people actually want to know. It's that kind of detail, isn't it? So I'm never going to answer everything that an obsessive fan would want to know in the novels, and the website is another way of doing that. Also, I think people would continue to theorize about the characters even at the end of Book 7, because some people are very interested in certain characters whose past lives are not germane to the plot, they're not central to the story, so there's this big leeway there still for fan fiction. Just as there is, I mean, Jane Austen, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, and you wonder about the characters' lives at the end of the story. They still exist, they still live, you're bound to wonder, aren't you? But I am as sure as I can, I can be currently that Seven will be the final novel, even though I get a lot of really big puppy dog eyes. Just one more. Yeah, I think it will be Seven. I love this answer. Mm-hmm. It is, I I don't want to like drag this particular way of engaging with books or anything, because I just, I, frankly, I think that whatever you find is fun is, you know, fair enough. That's what it's yeah. for, right? Yeah. It is so apart from my philosophy about how to enjoy this stuff, you know, like this idea, even her saying, you know, I mean, Jane Austen, I'm a huge Jane Austen fan, and you wonder about the characters' lives at the end of the story. They still exist. They still live. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> the book's over. The book's so over. The, they, they did not exist, you know? The that was the their story. I, I think both of us kind of have a similar perspective on writing, each of us, that's yeah. apart from hers about like what matters in a story is the themes right and like the characters and the way that they relate to the story and it's like you know it's definitely fun to think about new things for those characters to do and new stories but i'm not thinking about like what those characters are doing for fun or like what's what are they up to today right what are their favorite colors yeah, and like what I would love to. What does Snape eat for breakfast? But it's interesting to get this perspective from her, right? Because I'm certainly not saying she's wrong. It's just like it's wild to to read a uh, an author's perspective on this in yeah. a way that, I mean, that like, feels. I totally get the impulse, right? The yeah. idea, but but to me, when I think about it, and, and I guess I'll relate it back to like fan fiction terms, where it's like, yeah, of course I want, like I think, like oh, wouldn't it be cool if the characters were in this situation? What yeah. if there was only one bed? You know, but <laughs> right. it is, but, but that is the story that is the important part, right? Even yeah. if it is something as 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 simple as like, what if, what if, <laughs> what if Snape and Gilderoy Lockhart. And there was only one bed. That's still a story. I think imagining that the characters exist and and live and might have lives that are closer to what a real person's life would be and is less fun to me. I guess yeah. is what it comes down to because yeah. it's more about playing with dolls. It's not about imagining a a portrait of a real person's life. I'd agree with that. Anyway, I think it's interesting. It's 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 interesting to see harry potter described in that i i here i think this is why i find this so interesting an answer it is very curious 
to me thinking about the way that uh, we were talking about how characters are treated in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. And her saying that they still live, they still continue to to exist and and like have thoughts and feelings and they matter to the story and whatnot which is it's it's interesting to hear her say that when uh, like part of a, a big part of what stuck out in this chapter's reading was like there are a lot of characters that i think still mean something that were just dropped because they are no longer part of the series and do not feel like they have any continuing meaning right but you can be assured they have a backstory in a box somewhere. In a big box somewhere. All right. Uh, what's next? I'm just skimming these couple because I'm trying to decide if I'm going to read like this whole short segment. Oh, well, here, uh, this is sort of a follow-up to my question. So I'll, I'll read this short conversation, then you can read the big, the big question. Sure. Um, seven books is a long series. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they're going to say I wimped out. Come on. If you were to write anything else on the Harry Potter series, would it be about Harry Potter himself or another character or a reference book? The most likely thing I've said, is a, uh, this is a few times before, would be an encyclopedia in which I could have fun with the minor characters and I could give the definitive biography of all the characters. I don't remember if we talked about the encyclopedia drama We did. There's a lot of drama with the encyclopedia. Um, Harry Potter Lexicon, which is, uh, another big fan site from the time that this was written, um, was thank, I think maybe actually we will get to a point in this interview. Maybe this is the source of the drama, um, where JK Rowling thanks the Lexicon for existing because it is a good reference point for her because it's such a thorough encyclopedia of the Harry Potter series. The they tried to publish an unofficial encyclopedia. She blocked it in court. There was a huge legal scuffle over this. Um, and I think she won, uh, unfortunately, which is ridiculous, obviously. Um, but then the upshot of it was she had this like flouncy tantrum where she was like, oh, this was such a draining experience. I've lost the will to publish the encyclopedia. Yeah, there's... um, The quote is so good because it's just like, oh, y'all could have had an encyclopedia, but this really just ruined it for me. Yeah. Let me see if I can find it because I think it's just on the Harry Potter lexicon Wikipedia entry. Yeah, yeah. It's a very funny and very telling quote. But I think also it's very interesting to think about because that, that is absolutely like... I think those are like the seeds of when Pottermore began. Yeah, which I suppose is somewhat encyclopedia-like and, and mm-hmm. oftentimes compiled those backstory. Mm-hmm. The Harry Potter lexicon did end up publishing a modified and shorter version that mm. was approved and released mm. in 2009 called The Lexicon, an unauthorized guide to Harry Potter fiction. Okay, okay. But yeah, the, the the long short of it is there is a lot of drama around this and, and, and J.K. Rowling pulled a very funny, like, well, you ruined it for everyone thing, uh, which is, which is uh, weird. But I want to give you this, I want to give you this shipping question. This is your territory. I love shipping questions. I really thought I could find the quote. <laughs> we should, we should, that's probably like a dedicated third yeah, segment thing. Yeah. Honestly, that is a whole long conversation. Yeah, this is just a teaser. Um, 
Uh, so the interviewer asks, okay, big, big, big book six question. Is Snape evil? Uh, J.K. Rowling responds, almost laughing in brackets. Well, you've read the book. What do you think? Um, Emerson says she's trying to make you say it categorically. Thank you, Emerson. Um, and uh, Melissa, is that her name? Melissa yes, and Ellie? I believe so. Uh, well, there are conspiracy theorists and there are people who will claim... Uh, and is cut off by J.K. Rowling saying, cling to some desperate hope. And they all laugh. Yes, yes, say Emerson and Melissa. Um, Emerson says, like certain shippers we know, all laugh. J.K. Rowling says, well, okay, I'm obviously... Harry Snape is now as personal, if not more so, than Harry Voldemort. I can't answer that question because it's a spoiler, isn't it? Whatever I say, and obviously it has such a huge impact on what will happen when they meet again, that I can't. And let's face it, it's going to launch 10,000 theories, uh, and I'm going to get a big kick out of reading them. So I'm evil, but I just like the theories. I love the theories. This is so juicy because no, she does not. We know she doesn't. Okay, she likes some theories. Yeah, I guess she likes some theories. She decides which theories are objectionable, I think. There is a whole extended thing with it. Remember her beef with the uh, with the Carlin brothers? That is a really funny one where they, they said the, uh, the what was it? that's the Dumbledore is, is death one, right? I no, think. I think it was like Dumbledore had a Horcrux. It was really oh, mild. That's, yeah, it was very mild. It was like, oh, maybe Dumbledore has a Horcrux. And she's like, that is just horrible. I can't believe that's anyone. That's very disturbing or whatever. Yeah, I can't believe anyone would think this, which is a very weird thing to say about a fan theory. Um, and then also, the one that always comes up that she just always makes fun of and always seems to detest is the time-traveling Ron thing. <laughs> the idea that, that Dumbledore is like Ron but like in the future or whatever and like that's a dumb theory but it's sort of fun it's cute it proposes a big twist that the series never really gets right like it's mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a novel idea but she just cannot stop talking about how much she hates that idea I but feel like that would be a fan theory that would be fun, just because it's... I don't think anyone yeah. actually thinks... It's not really a theory in the strict, like, speculative sense of, I think this is going to happen, right? Yeah, the the, the Dumbledore... The Ron is time-traveling Dumbledore thing is akin to, like, the, the, like, Jar Jar is a Sith Lord thing, where it's, like, it's a fun exercise in filling in the gaps and making connections, right? Mm -hmm. Like, it's not seriously proposing that's what the story is, Right. But it is it is a fun. I hate it's it's an Umineko. I'm mm -hmm. I'm reading Umineko right now, but it is the like there is the possibility if there is any possibility of magic existing, people will assume it, <laughs> uh, and that is the entire that is that that's the philosophy is Umineko, and I think that that applies to fan theories as well. It's like if there is any wiggle room, people will fill in those cracks right and i think that that's fun that that's part of the the uh the appeal of fiction i think mm -hmm. uh i know dumbledore likes to see the good in people but he seems trusting almost to the point of recklessness sometimes jk rowling laughter yes i would agree i would agree emerson how can someone so jk rowling intelligent emerson be so blind with regards to certain things 
J.K. Rowling. Well, there's there is information on that to come in book seven, but I will say that I think it has been demonstrated, particularly in books five and six, that immense brain power <laughs> does not protect you from emotional mistakes. And I think Dumbledore really exemplifies that. In fact, I would tend to think that being very, very intelligent might create some problems, and it has done for Dumbledore, because his wisdom has isolated him. And I think you can see that in the books, because where is his equal? Where is his confidant? Where is his partner? He has none of those things. He's always the one who gives, and he's always the one who has the insight and has the knowledge. So I think that when I ask the reader to accept that McGonagall is a very worthy second-in-command, she's not an equal. You have a slightly circuitous answer, but I can't get any closer than that. I know it's so funny to read what she thinks Dumbledore's character is yeah Dumbledore being the one who gives always the one who gives is such a that is way far away from anything I think I would say about Dumbledore the idea of someone being so above everyone else in his in brain power I guess (laughs) um that they are alone is not a new or novel idea. Um, but it's it's just kind of funny here. I Like, I guess he's alone. Um, it's so clear that somewhere along the line, she got so enamored with this character of Dumbledore that she sees in her head. But I don't think, I think that he might be the least well translated character. Like, I, I think that the, like, I don't, I don't get that same thing that she's trying to communicate here. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, it's interesting, right? Because there is a lot of art and a lot of fiction where um, the, like, the audience read is much different from the author's read. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's that's not invalid, right? Like, like that is, that is, I think, maybe often the case with most fiction is that mm-hmm. the audience gets something different out of what the author intends, right? Like, that that's not weird. The part that I find so funny about this is just how, with Dumbledore specifically... It's like on every level, the intent of Dumbledore feels different than than what we get out of it. Um, like like right down to the core. I mean, like the 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 funniest one, I think, being Book Six and just how we categorically just read him as a villain, and, it, <laughs> and that just feels so right to us. And like, I don't think we really had to stretch that far, but it really is just because the things that J.K. Rowling considers heroic we consider like villainous right and that is super interesting to think about but it, it it's 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 wild reading this thing about like like what is what does she think dumbledore is and what dumbledore represents and the character she's describing here to me is not dumbledore it's, it's hermione like this the immense brain power does not protect you from emotional mistakes. To me, if you just if you were like reading off character descriptions and not mm-hmm. saying the names and asking me to guess, I would guess Hermione for that. Because that's that's Hermione to a T, right? Like she's incredibly intelligent, but she doesn't know uh uh you know when not to say something that might be hurtful or or you know like she has no concept of of um you know emotional intelligence compared to her like raw intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not really what I get from Dumbledore. Dumbledore is a manipulator. He is very emotionally intelligent. Too, he's too emotionally intelligent, honestly. He has been stringing Harry along for seven years. Mm-hmm. As, and, like, that's core to the plot. That's not, like, just, like, a like an offhand read of a character. That's, like, that's, like, that is Dumbledore. 
he is emotionally manipulative. He is incredibly emotionally intelligent. He does play off of people's emotions. I mean, I, I'm kind of skimming the next answer, and I'd like to read it just because I think it kind of yeah. answers our question a bit here. And, yeah. and I, before I read it, I would like to say that the answer is is that Dumbledore is this vis- this perfect paternal vision, right? But I say paternal as in like um, the like paternalistic vision of the state more so than yeah. like a father, father figure. figure. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the interviewer says it's interesting about Dumbledore being lonely. J.K. Rowling responds, "I see him as isolated, and a few people have said to me rightly, I think, that he is detached." My sister said to me in a moment of frustration, it was when Hagrid was shut up in his house after Rita Skeeter had published that he was a half-breed. And my sister said to me, why didn't Dumbledore go down earlier? Why didn't Dumbledore go down earlier? I said he really had to let Hagrid stew for a while and see if he was going to come out on his own, come out of this on his own, because if he had come out on his own, he really would have been better. Well, he's too detached. He's too cold. It's like you, she said. Laughter. By mm. which she, which, by which she meant that she would immediately rush in, and I would maybe stand back a little bit and say, "Let's wait and see if he can work this out." I wouldn't leave him a week. I'd leave him maybe an afternoon, but she would chase him into the hut. Ha! Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Huh? Huh? I don't really have much to say about that. I feel like that is just self-evidently interesting. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. Let's let's leave that one. I'm gonna yeah. be thinking that one over a little bit. Yeah, but, that one that one's uh, that's a yeah. nice fondue you gotta let let sit for a while, I think. Uh, <laughs> this is one of my burning questions ever since the third book. Why did Voldemort offer Lily so many chances to live? Would he actually have let her live? JK Rowling, mm-hmm. Emerson, why? And then J.K. says, after some silence, can't tell you, but he did offer. You're absolutely right. Don't you want to ask me why James's death didn't protect Lily and Harry? There's your answer. You've just answered your own question because she could have lived and chose to die. Uh, James was going to be killed anyway. Do you see what I mean? I'm not saying James wasn't ready to. He died trying to protect his family, but he was going to be murdered anyway. He had no, he was, wasn't given a choice. So he rushed into it in a kind of animal way. I think there are distinctions in courage. James was immensely brave, but the caliber of Lily's bravery was, I think in this instance, higher because she could have saved herself. Now, any mother, any normal mother would have done what Lily did. So in that sense, her courage, too, was of an animal quality, but she was given time to choose. James wasn't. It's like an intruder entering your house, isn't it? Yes, Joe, it's literally that. (laughs) That is what Voldemort is. Uh, you would instinctively rush them. But if in cold blood you were told, get out of the way, you know, what would you do? I mean, I don't think any mother would stand aside from the child. But does that answer it? She did very consciously lay down her life. She had a clear choice. And then Emerson says, and James didn't. I think this is kind of a foul thing to say. It's a very weird thing to say. I, I I think it is. I think it is one thing for J.K. Rowling being a mother to say, of course, if... If there was a home invader and it was Voldemort, I would lay my life down for my child immediately. But it's an interesting thing to condemn non-normal mothers who wouldn't do that or couldn't in that situation. This is a really silly nitpick because I think this is like something that people talk about figuratively a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, I would die for that person or whatever. Yeah. Um, But I I think this is kind of a rough answer a little bit. It's very weird. I also the 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 repeated use of animal instinct in this is also very strange to me. Is this idea that like 
the 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 James's way of wanting to protect his family is the animal way, and I guess that the maternal instinct that Lily has is not animal instinct. It is above that or whatever. Is very strange to me. <laughs> this is some weird gender essentialism stuff, I guess, that I'm always very wary of. Um, but it, it it's it's odd. The, 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 the yeah. man is the man is a violent animal, and the woman has magical maternal powers. Right? It's it's very weird. Yeah, I guess I put this in the bucket of like J.K. Rowling, just like saying being tropes, old, you know, just, just <laughs> being old, you know. Like, like yeah, it's okay. it's not it's not like weird or out of pocket or anything. It's just like it's a it's a it's a weird answer. I assume the like secret part too is that the reason Voldemort would have spared Lily is because he made the promise to Snape, right? The idea that like he was mm. going to give her to Snape if mm-hmm. this worked out a certain way. Yeah, um, but Which I don't also... understand Voldemort's character at all. So yeah. I can't yeah, wait I to get to I, that part. Like, it, like oh, he he's a real dickhead, but he keeps his promises, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did she know anything about the possible effect of standing in front of Harry? J.K. Rowling, no, because as I've tried to make clear in the series... Oh, I'm sorry, this is your this is your answer. You you go ahead and read this. Mm, I've tried to make clear in the series it never happened before, no one ever survived before, and no one therefore knew that could happen. Um, and then uh, Melissa kind of asked a clar- clarifying question, so no one, Voldemort or anyone using Avada Kedavra, ever gave someone a choice, and then they took that option to die. J.K. Rowling said they may have been given a choice, but not in that particular way. I don't know what that means. Yeah, that's a that's an odd one. I uh... um, I love that because um, I think that that's very symbolic. I think it's very thematic. I I like that. I don't have an objection to that. No, that's you cool. You can jump out of the way of Avada Kedavra, though. <laughs> so <laughs> once again, Avada Kedavra is just I don't know. I don't know what Avada Kedavra is. Uh, it's gun, I guess. It's it's gun, except when it needs to be very slow missile. Exactly. So that's yeah, I guess part it would be one. I guess it would be hard to jump out of the way of a bullet, huh? Those yeah. things go pretty fast. It depends, you know, if you're in the matrix you could do it probably. But any other time might be a little difficult. Mhm. Anyway, that is part 1 of part uh, of three parts. Um uh things continue to get juicier from there. I'm so excited to get into next week's uh if you so if you scroll to the top and go to part 2. Mhm. Take a look at how long this is. I think I think we're lucking out next week because we have another kind of short chapter. Um but this is a project that we are going through here. Can I please read a teaser? Oh I'm please. Just, I just please, wanna, please, I just want to read a teaser because I just am scrolling and I'm laughing. Um and this is a teaser. I'm not gonna say even what the question was, but I'm gonna read JK Rowling's first sentence of a very long paragraph. No, never consciously, in the sense that I've never thought, quote, it's time for a post-9-11 Harry Potter book. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Bull fucking shit. Oh, wow. I love, I love author interviews so much. I love getting into their heads and, and, and seeing... I mean, like, 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 like the, the thing is, I, I, like, I, this is not unique to J.K. Rowling. I think every artist in the world has a like warped perspective of their own work right 
Mm-hmm. I think I think I would I would come off just as funny in an interview about yeah. about my drawings or whatever than uh, as J.K. Rowling. I think literally everyone just thinks differently about their work than what everyone else who looks at it does. But it is very funny with J.K. Rowling to read this stuff because it is um, it is it is such a storied. Um, uh, process that she went through, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the the mythologizing that she's done over the years of her own writing process and making Harry Potter is really well documented. And seeing her uh, talk about it in a more candid way, that sort of like it reveals the rough edges of that, like that, like very shiny PR mm-hmm. version. I I just I love that kind of thing. Yeah, I will, I, will, nice. I will do want to be a little bit fair to her only in this one particular thing, which is that I know that she didn't originate the narrative that the media ran with, right? No, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, she said stuff, but it's, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll put together a story no yeah. matter what you do. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's very interesting reading such a candid interview from someone with such a uh, squeaky clean media image, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just such an interesting uh, dichotomy. But, and what, uh, a, what a perfect format to be on the Leaky Cauldron, f- people who are not professional journalists putting this together. Yes. Um, and so none of it gets to be squeaky clean, right? Yes, like they don't exactly. have the tools to make it squeaky clean or, or mm-hmm. to kind of um, wrestle it into that media narrative. So it's it's very enjoyable. No offense to the Leaky Cauldron folks. At this rate, we're never going to be invited for our live show at LeakyCon. <laughs> we're never going to LeakyCon. <laughs> They're never going to invite us to LeakyCon. Oh, what a shame. But yeah, no, so that's part one. I'm excited to, to get into parts two and three. But for now, what do you say we take it to the close? Yeah, let's do it. All right, our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them, as always, for letting us use that as our theme song. You can check them out on Bandcamp, and you can check us out at patreon.com slash streetcast. We have so much uh, interesting content there for you. I'm reading a visual novel. Liz is playing a AAA open-world RPG. I'm watching The Blacklist. We've got so much content, (laughs) cursed and blessed, on there for you to sift through. And Liz, what are we reading next week? We're reading chapter three. It's called The Dursleys Departing. Mm. Goodbye, Dursleys. Goodbye, Dursleys. Bye, Dursleys. All right. I'd like to do something different for our word of wisdom at the end of the show this week. Um, because we read an article from the Leaky Cauldron. Um, and rather than... Uh, uh, you know, we got a lot of Emerson Sparts this week, so so I'm going to go with a Leaky Cauldron thing. Wonderful. This is a quote tweet that they posted yesterday that they still have not deleted. <laughs> oh, no. I think you know what this is. Oh, God. Uh, they quote tweeted an article from Deadline Hollywood that says, David Heyman, with an A, David Heyman dies, music supervisor for film, TV, and ads, Vice President of the Guild of Music Supervisors of Canada. Leaky Cauldron has quote tweeted and said, We are so sorry to hear about this. Our hearts did skip a beat when we saw it. I I hoped that with fresh eyes, a new day, I would be able to look at this tweet and divine whether or not they either don't know that this isn't the same David Heyman that worked on Harry Potter that died, 
Or they thought it was the Harry Potter David Heyman and wrote a post that's like, oh, really sorry about this. Glad it wasn't the Harry Potter one. <laughs> I can't, I can't figure it out. It is one of the funniest posts I've ever seen related to the Harry Potter community. Just be like, oops, well, sorry the guy with the same name as the one we like died. What a Oh my god. What I a, can't decide which is worse. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Is 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 it is it more embarrassing to genuinely mix them up or is it worse to be like, "Damn, that was almost really bad for us. RIP to your guy though." <laughs> I thought it would be taken down. Yeah. I was surprised to see that this was still up, but I'm glad it was. I'm glad I could document it here. One of the funniest bad tweets i've seen in a long time i guess they don't have a very big social media footprint considering there's 20 likes and three retweets on this post (laughs) nobody in the reply is being like uh you know this isn't the david Heyman that worked on harry potter right (laughs) not the producer of the films please Okay, well, with that in mind, please read another book. Please read another book. But there's a lady here that makes ocean raw seem tame. Better know what you're after if you catch a eye. Because this hot mama is just a cat in disguise.